great to be with you today. Uh, like I said, my name is Tim. Um, really good to be with you here. I love this time of year, really any time of year when we gather in this space and the sun is kind of streaming through the windows. It's just beautiful. Uh, you know, today is, a, is an interesting message, a message uh, uh, unlike any other that I have, have given because uh, as many of you have probably heard, this is unfortunately my last day on staff at Door of Hope. Uh, we uh, sent out letters over the last week or two. Josh and I talked about it and kind of announced it uh, last Sunday. And, and I'm going to be uh, talking more about that, actually woven through some other things we're going to talk about uh, here, here today. Um, it, it, like we said last week, a lot of conversation and, and prayer went into that. And we kind of ended up mutually agreeing that it just felt like God was leading me on uh, out of, of Door of Hope, not sure exactly where yet, um, but I'm really grateful for the process uh, for how we came to that. I'm going to talk a lot about that today. Uh, I'm also really grateful for how Door of Hope is supporting me in that and giving me uh, a lot of time to, to consider what's next and, and where God might be leading. And one thing practically uh, that I just mentioned is if, if you would like to, to stay in touch, uh, again, I'm not going to, this isn't like my last Sunday that you'll ever see me at Door of Hope. I'll still be around sometimes on Sundays. Uh, I'm still going to lead worship uh, sometimes. This is still our home church until it's not, but for now it still is. Um, uh, our hope is to stay in Portland, but we're not sure exactly where, where God is leading. And if you want to stay in touch uh, to that end, um, I'm starting a little newsletter of sorts uh, to give updates and, and prayer requests along the way. There'll be a link that will go out in the email today that goes out with a link to the sermon. Every week uh, we send out a a, uh, uh, an email after the sermon uh, with a, how to watch the sermon and that kind of thing. There'll be a link in there that you can sign up for that, that little uh, newsletter. Really appreciate your, your prayer uh, going forward for, for where, we, where we go from here. But, uh, you know, like I said, this message is going to be interesting. A few weeks back as, as we had kind of settled on this decision and we're talking about how to communicate it to the church, Josh asked me to, to preach the week after we announced it. And you know, I was, I was grateful for the opportunity, but, but I, that quickly turned to uh, a bit of bewilderment because I've never really been in a position like this. I'm like, well, what in the world do you talk about for a, a final message at a church? I, uh, I've only been in this situation a couple times before, and both of those times uh, the church itself was ending, and that's why my role was ending. Um, and, and so I've never really been in, in this position before, and so I was thinking about it, I was praying about it, and then all of a sudden it, it clicked. Uh, in that every time there's a, a, a transition, anything like this, in church leadership, it raises questions. And among those questions, there's often questions about calling because calling is often the language used to describe this kind of a thing. Like, like well, so-and-so is moving on. Uh, they felt called elsewhere. Uh, and we use this language in the church to describe a ton of different things. I felt called to a new job. I felt like God was calling me to a new church. I felt like God was calling me to this and that and the other thing. And over the years, uh, that's been something I've, I've studied a fair amount and come to some, some strong convictions on. And, and those convictions actually are what really brought myself as well, along with the, the Door of Hope leadership, to this decision. It's exactly how we made this decision. And so that's what I'm going to share today. I'm going to talk about calling. My two goals are, are one, to give a little bit more background as to how we came to this decision for me to leave, leave staff, but also to explain um, how 
God works, how God directs, biblically speaking, because I think there's a lot of, of misunderstanding around that subject, and I hope that that can be helpful for you as you are considering where God is, is leading you practically in the stuff of life. So I want to talk about God's call, and I want to start at a place that, that uh, might seem a little uh, unrelated, but, but I think you'll, you'll get the point. Quickly, I want to start in, in Mark chapter 8, the last part of, of Mark chapter 8. Here's a little bit of uh, uh, just a brief background. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is one of the, the four eyewitness accounts of the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We call these Gospels. And the Gospel of Mark was the first Gospel written. It's also the shortest Gospel. It is, it's 16 chapters long really divided, divided into to two halves. And so this at the end of, of chapter 8 is really the exact middle point of how Mark tells the story of Jesus. It's the high point, kind of the climax of sorts. And this scene unfolds where Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter, who often answers first, says, you are the Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's actually a title. It, it, it was a title that literally means anointed one. It's a, it's a title that was given to the Messiah, who they believe would be the anointed king of Israel. And there was a ton of expectation built up in Jewish culture around this idea of the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus responds in such a way that just absolutely shatters their expectations. He says, yes, you're right, I am the Christ, and I've come in such a way as I must suffer many things, be rejected by Jewish leadership, be killed, and after three days I will rise again from death. Now, this was not received well. This was shocking. It was super shocking then. It should be shocking to us. It only isn't for those of us who've been in the church long enough for, to get used to this kind of language. But, but, but it was shocking to Peter because his view of the Christ, as was the common view of the Christ, was that, that the, the, the Christ was coming to restore Israel to glory and power and dominance, to free them from the oppression of Rome. And so they saw the, 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 the Messiah, the Christ, as like a, a liberating figure to restore them to national notoriety and power. And Jesus says something completely and utterly different. No, actually, I've come to die, is what he says. Well, Peter's not having it. Peter responds. says Peter rebukes him for it, and then Jesus responds to Peter, rebuking him in a famous statement when he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, at this point, Peter, you're actually switched teams, and now you're on Satan's team. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And so he calls together his disciples, and he decides this is a teachable moment to expand on this. And here's what he says. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Like I said, it's, it's hard to grasp how significant these words would have sounded in our day. But the cross for them, it's become commonplace language in our culture because we've lost a sense of just the gravity of what the cross was. It was a brutal and torturous and horrific way to be killed. And Rome specifically did this almost as, a, as like a terror tactic to send a message. If you mess with Rome, this is what happens to you. 
the ultimate shame, the ultimate disgrace, the ultimate defeat where Rome shows its power by just crushing a human being in slow, pain, the most slow and, and painful way they could come up with. So, so there really isn't even a corollary in our day. It would be, it would be like, uh, you know, if anyone's going to follow me, sit down in your electric chair or lay down for a lethal injection. But even, even those, they don't have the brutal component of the cross. No one could have conceived of a crucified Christ. These are two words that don't ever go together. In fact, it was, it was considered out of bounds and, and, and terrible manners to even mention the cross, even say the word in that day from what I've read. And so instead, Jesus paints this, this completely different picture of, of self-denial. Instead of what I've jokingly called the, the Jewish view of the Christ was, was to make Israel great again. Instead of MAGA, it was MIGA. Uh, and, and instead, Jesus says, says, my kingdom is not gonna be one of glory and power, but of self-denial even to the point of death. In verse 35 and 36, for whoever would lose his life, sorry, whoever would save his life would lose it. And who, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The, the two words in verse 35 used for life and the word used for soul in verse 36 are all the same Greek word in the original translation. And, and it's significant because it's not just life. Some, some would read this and say, yeah, like the apostles, you have to be ready to, to lay down your life and maybe even experience a martyr's death. That could be in view with what he's saying, but what he's saying was deeper. Because the Greek word translated as life and soul here is the Greek word for psyche. You might be familiar with that. It, it, it's a term translated elsewhere as soul, life, spirit, mind, or being. He's not primarily talking about, about martyrhood. He's, he's saying, to follow me, you have to surrender your personhood. You have to surrender your identity. He's saying, if anyone would come after me, you surrender your own life, to, you surrender your right to define yourself on your own terms, and instead, you take on my definition of who you are as we devote ourselves to Jesus himself. He says, for my sake and the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus. So anyone who wants to follow Jesus must surrender everything they are, die to themselves, and surrender their life for Jesus and the gospel. And that even if you gained everything that the world has to offer, you would still lose it all without Jesus. Now, I'm guessing some of you are asking, even though we're only a few minutes into this, Okay, why are you going off? Uh, why, why are you talking about this? It, 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 we're talking about calling, right? It doesn't have to do with, with vocation and, and job and, and career and your uniqueness as a blessing to the whole world. Sorry, I didn't mean to touch that. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But the reason why I'm starting here is because when the Bible talks about calling, this is where the Bible starts. The Bible puts this call to follow Jesus and surrender yourself to Jesus above, miles above, all other concerns. Before he ever talks about gifts or roles or vocation or job, there is this call. It's the call above all other calls in the Bible. So what does the Bible mean 
when, he, when the Bible actually uses the word calling? Well, there's, there's six or seven different Greek and Hebrew words that are translated as calling in your Bible. And the most common uh, is, is the one that's used for like, and he called out, hey, come over here. Uh, so you gotta weed out hundreds and hundreds of those. Then the next most common is, is using called in the same sense that we would use named, like, like and Jesus called him Peter. Like we would say, named him Peter. And so after you weed out like a thousand or so of these instances of the word for call, you're actually left with what the Bible speaks about first and foremost and primarily about God's calling, and that is this, that when the Bible talks about calling, it's talking about being called into relationship with God through Jesus. The word calling, particularly in the New Testament, is almost completely synonymous with salvation, with relationship with God, with being saved from your sin through the work of Jesus. And here's just a few of of many different examples. Uh, The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans talks about, and those whom he predestined, meaning those who he chose to follow him, he also called. He's not talking about vocation or job, he's talking about being called into relationship with God. Uh, Jude, the brother of James, uh, in the beginning of his letter says, to those who are called, beloved, in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. The apostle John uh, references it this way as well in in Revelation, for he is the Lord uh, of lords and the King of kings and those who are, uh, those with him are, are called and chosen and faithful. So what we see is, is, When we look at the Bible, the the primary use, almost the exclusive use of calling from a spiritual perspective, once you weed out all the other practical uses of the word, is the call to belong to God through the work of Jesus Christ. There's a great book that I found helpful as I was preparing this message by a guy named Oz Guinness. Not sure if you heard of him. And if you're wondering where that last name came from, you would be correct. He is the great, great, great grandson of Arthur Guinness, the famous Irish brewer of very dark beer. Uh, Now, Oz did not follow in the family business, and he is an author, speaker, social critic, and scholar, and he wrote a book called The Call, which I'd highly recommend. And and we'll send out an email. Uh, We always send out an email with details about the message, and there'll be some links to some of the articles that I'm referencing, as well as this book if you wanna uh, look into any of these things more deeply. But, But here's how Oz Guinness defines God's calling. God's calling is, he says, the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and service. Like any good author, he's got a lot of good alliteration going in the mix there. It sounds a lot like Jesus' call in Mark 8, doesn't it? Surrender all that we are to God for his will, for his person, for his purposes. And and, and what we see here is that that Guinness highlights an essential truth, something super important. It was important in that day. It's important in our day. I'm saying in the Bible's day. It's important in our day as well. And that is this. God's calling is more about who we are than what we do. I'm gonna say that again because as Americans, we need to let that sink in. 
God's calling is more about who we are than what we do. When we take God's calling seriously to know him, to grow in relationship with him, to become more like him, when we submit everything we have and we are to him and the cause of proclaiming his good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then everything we do is infused with new meaning. It's not about the substance of what you do, it's about who you are in the midst of it. We tend to think of calling in strong terms of what we do. And as Americans, we tend to always identify ourselves so closely with what we do and confuse the work that we do with who we actually are. And great harm comes from that. Great discouragement comes from that. So that's what calling is according to the Bible. I want to talk about three things that your calling is not. And I lifted this from a really helpful article that I'll also link to in the email that you'll get this afternoon uh, from, from a, a a blog called The Gospel Coalition. Uh, one of the editors there, his name is Ivan Mesa, and his three points really challenged me. I think they'll be a challenge to you as well. Three things your calling is not. First of all, number one, your calling is not for you. It's for others. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus laid down everything he had to serve others, and he calls us to follow his example in that. Being in relationship with God, being a follower of Jesus, means to do the same thing that Jesus did, lay our lives down for others. So everything he has entrusted to you, your, your gifts, your skills you have accumulated, your, your finances, your time, your relationships, everything that he has entrusted to you, he has entrusted to you so that you can be a blessing to others, not just have those things for yourself. Be a blessing to others that they might know Jesus, that they might grow to be more like him over time. And I, I spoke about this uh, a couple months ago when I talked about how we grow in Christ. What does Christian growth look like? And the high point of Christian growth is not turning inward, and learning more and more and more about yourself, the height of Christian growth and maturity is turning your attention towards others, is pouring yourself out for others, is serving others. So, number one, your calling is not just for you, it's to be a blessing for others. Number two, your calling is not from you, it's from, it's, it's from God, and, and this, this truth grows more countercultural every day. The world around us is absolutely screaming at us that your deepest source of identity is you, that no one knows you better than you, and no one is more qualified to speak into your life than you. And if anyone does speak into your life from the outside and disagrees with your sense of who you are, they're a hater, and not just figuratively. The world wants to polarize all of this into a hard dichotomy between love and unconditional celebration of a human being or utter hatred. And the dividing line is whether or not you agree with them. And this is more and more where our culture is going, where relationships are going, with messaging, with media is going. And Guinness, in his book, The Call, he traces the source of this idea 
back to uh, the, the, the German philosopher. I'm no expert on this, but I think that there's something true, and I've heard this from a lot of different angles over the course of the last couple of years. It's, it's Nietzsche. Sometimes Americans like to pronounce it Nietzsche, but I think the German is actually Nietzsche. Oz Guinness summarizes this uh, when he says, according to Nietzsche, we have only two choices in life, to obey ourselves or to be commanded. And he goes off hard on what it means to be commanded. For, uh, it's part of his big idea, Nietzsche's big idea, uh, that he called the will to power. And, and that really is, is all about self-actualization, that, 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 that the only way forward in life, according to how he conceived it, is to be completely self-determining, because if you're not self-determining, and other people speak into your life, it's all out of power and it's all abuse. And this should sound very familiar to you because it is everywhere around us. It is the main plot of almost every Disney story. Anybody remember Moana? Or, or, or almost all of them. The story goes, and, and it's not just Disney, it's all around us, that the hero is one who, who throws off all restraint and expectation and they look deep within themselves, they find their truest self, the highest desire is to be true to your personal conception of self, and, and then they triumph through sheer force, force of will over all who disagreed with them. If you believe deeply enough, you can make anything happen. We hear that message from athletes, from Disney princesses, and everywhere else in the world around us, right? Unfortunately, we also hear it a lot in the church, as the church is being swayed by the world. But Jesus says, in stark contrast, no, my call, my direction is from me, through me, and for me. That's what Jesus says. That we are most happy and satisfied when we are most surrendered to him, not the most self-deterministic. So your calling is not for you, it's for others. It's not from you, it's from God. And your calling is not future tense, it's now. And Mesa has this, this powerful quote that was really challenging to me. He says, look at your life. Apart from sin, your calling is whatever your life consists of right now. And this is also so countercultural because in the age of, of the social media influencer, we are bombarded with the message that we are to seek fame as a means to change the world. That we're all world changers, and if you haven't changed the world yet, you're missing out. And this church has its own version of this, where, where we over-spiritualize vocational ministry of all kinds of different forms and, and, and tell people and give people the impression that if they didn't follow God into full-time ministry, somehow they've, they've missed out as well because they're supposed to be a world changer in and through the church. It leaves people constantly disappointed leaves us constantly feeling like we're missing out, stepping over the people who need us and the opportunities right in front of us as a means to get something greater that's always just out of reach. I had a great conversation after I, I gave this message at the first service from, from a gal who was, who was really identifying that with that, said, said, said that she was in advertising uh, for, for quite a while and, and just felt like her life was going the wrong direction and God had something bigger for her and so did a, a total change of career and it, it, 
was a total mess and a total disaster, and now she's back in the ad world. Not that advertising is the way out, necessarily. But that constant message, that constant message that what we're doing isn't enough. Your call is to follow Jesus, to know him more deeply and become more like him. And if you have kids, your calling is to be a parent. If you have a job, your calling is to work as if Jesus Christ was your boss and everything you do is worship. If you live in a house in a neighborhood, you have a calling to to seek to, to be a blessing to those who you live around. If you are at a church, as I'm assuming those of you who are here today, then you have a calling to love and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, to share the gospel with others, to invite them to church, to serve. Calling is who you are and the stuff of life around you is just how you work that out. I'm so passionate about this because, man, my temperament, my personality, man, I am just hardwired to find my identity in what I do. It's really hard for me to separate out who I am in Christ from what I do in his name. And lots of difficult things and destructive things and unhealthy things come from that. It can be a blessing in some ways too, but, but, but man, I'm, I'm preaching to myself in the midst of this. I don't want you to think I have this mastered. And I know that maybe not all of you are, are wired in that way to the extent that I am, but I know that you guys are struggling with the same thing. Everybody struggles with this. So first and foremost, the Bible says your deepest source of calling is to be called into relationship with God through Jesus. But, now we finally come to it. What about vocation, career, work, gifts, etc.? Some of you might be saying, you know, I hear what you're saying, Tim, but, but aren't there some people in the Bible called to specific work? And the answer is yes, of course there is. Noah was called to build an ark. Moses and Aaron were called to, to uh, help lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. Prophets were called like Samuel and, and Jeremiah and Isaiah, Isaiah very specifically. David was, and others were called to be kings and leaders in Israel. Jesus called the disciples to follow him in a very consuming way, although they still had side jobs. Uh, Paul was called to share the gospel with the Gentiles, although he also had a side job. But here's my point. In the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, spanning many centuries and countless people, there are well under a hundred examples of God showing up and giving a direct vocational call to people. It is the minority by far. It's exceedingly rare. You can't make a case from these few exceptional circumstances to a direct personal call by God for everyone wasn't the case in the Bible times, it's not the case now. That means, biblically speaking, unless God physically shows up to you and says otherwise, in which case you should always go with that. But unless he does, there's not really any such thing as a call to full-time ministry. The Bible doesn't even talk about full-time ministry. The Bible doesn't distinguish between whether you're vocational or non-vocational. The Bible doesn't distinguish whether you get paid for ministry or not. Paul counted it an honor to not get paid, which is why he had a steady side job of making tents. There's also no call to missions because the Bible doesn't create that category at all. The Bible doesn't distinguish between, between local ministry and international ministry. 
These things have risen up through church culture, and unfortunately, like I said earlier, they, they can tend to, to give the, the impression, if not the outright belief, that, that going into full-time ministry, to being called to ministry, to being called to missions is somehow the varsity team for Jesus, and everyone else just settles if you're marketing or plumbing or taking care of the kids or whatever it is that you do. This leads to so much disillusionment, so much discouragement, and so much deception because it's just not true. It's just not biblical. So if calling isn't the right way to think about vocation, then what is? How do we seek God's direction practically in life? Now we'll get to it. Here's the practical part. And, and, and notice I'm, I'm using the terms uh, God's leading or God's direction. In the letter that I sent out to you talking about my upcoming shift, uh, when Josh and I talked about it in front of you all, and as I've been talking about it today, I've been very careful to not say, God is calling me to this or that. What God's calling me to do is to know him and surrender to him. But God is leading and directing me in some practical things. And I believe that there are principles that we can discern. As I've been thinking about this over the years, I, I have four key ones that's not to say there are only four. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list. Um, there, there's, sure, there's plenty of other things you could add to this list, but these are four key principles that have played a big part in my life and together with the rest of the leadership of Door of Hope are exactly how we came to this decision here for this change of course for me. And I'm gonna start to weave this in with a bit of my story for how we came to the decision. Principle number one, you ask yourself this question, what do you desire? What do I desire? What do you want? The vast majority of time when somebody comes to me and says, God's called me to fill in the blank, they would be better off saying, I want fill in the blank. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong to ha with having desires, with desiring to be in vocational ministry, to, uh, desiring to preach, desiring to go overseas and, and share Jesus with other people in other countries. That's fine, but it's a desire. It's not, don't confuse that with the way the Bible talks about calling from God. The Apostle Paul uses that very language to describe what it, what it means to, to be an elder in a local church. He says, this is a trustworthy saying in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer or what we call elder, he desires a noble task. Depending on on your translation of the Bible, these are translated as aspire or sets his heart towards or desires. It's not saying that, that God calls you irrevocably. It's saying this is a matter of, of desire. It's a matter of, of what you want. And there's numerous places like Psalm 34 that, that link this idea of, of delighting yourself in what God wants to the extent that your desires start to match more and more with his, they overlap. And, 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 and when that happens, it is his pleasure and it is, it is his joy as God our Heavenly Father to give us the desires of our heart. So number one, it starts with a desire. What do you desire? What is God putting on your heart? Two, where is there a need? Then you look for a need to fill. Where is there a need around me that I can pair with that desire? Jeremiah 29, um, the, the, God's word came to, to his people Israel through the prophet Jeremiah as they were being carried off into exile into Babylon. And this was not a nice place. They were super bummed about this. Babylon came in, um, 
razed some of their cities to the ground, um, hauled off their people into slavery and bondage and oppression. And even in the midst of that, God's word comes to them and says, even as you're on your way to Babylon, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. God says, I'm behind it all, don't forget. Where I have sent you into exile, pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, which is the Hebrew shalom for peace and well-being. In their well-being, you will find your well-being. So you ask yourself, how can I be an agent of God's peace and welfare and well-being to all those around me? How can I contribute? Where can I help? So what do you desire? Where is there a need? Then three, do you have gifts to meet that need? God gifts all of his people. And you need to honestly assess where you have gifts, where you have skills in your life that can meet needs. Uh, Peter speaks to this in in 1 Peter. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one speaking oracles from God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So, starts with a desire. You pair that with a need. Then you ask, do I have the gifts or the skills from God to meet that need? And then fourth, there's a big one. And this one is again just super, super countercultural in our prideful and individualistic age. And fourth, you ask the question, does your community around you, as well as where it's appropriate, local leadership affirm you in those gifts? God almost always leads us through community. Others see things in our life that we don't. They often see us more clearly than we see ourselves. And this is absolute murder for our pride, right? Because pride says what I was talking about earlier. I define myself, I define my gifts, and if you don't agree, we're going to war. There are occasional exceptions in the Bible where, where, where a leader seems led by God to defy what everyone is speaking into their life. But it's usually somebody like Paul or Jesus, and it's rare. Even when God himself showed up to Paul, his name was Saul at the time, and he was actively, uh, as a devout Jew, persecuting uh, the, the Christians of the early church. God himself shows up to Paul in Acts chapter 9 and calls him to something completely different. But even then, when God physically shows up and calls him to specific work, he sends him to a priest named Ananias to submit himself to Ananias for a while. And then after he spends, uh, I believe if memory serves, years with Ananias, it's at least some period, uh, lengthy period of time, uh, then he goes up to Jerusalem to present himself to James and, and Peter and the other key uh, apostles, the leaders of, of the early church, and submits himself to them. God almost always works through community, and the Bible also teaches that there are no leaders or authorities except what God has set up. And we are to, and here's the dirty word, the dirtiest word, isn't it? Submit to them. Oof. Everybody always hates that, right? We all hate it. 
I hate it. I'm not trying to tell you that it's easy for me because I've reached some, you know, mythical plane of maturity. Nobody wants to submit to anybody else. It's just how we are. It's, it's, it's a byproduct of sin in our heart. Sin started with rebellion against God, and it continues with rebellion against every authority that, that known to man. Proverbs and, and, and Romans speak to this. Proverbs says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. It says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Romans 13 said, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So if local leadership and authority does not affirm you, even if your desire points you in one direction and it seems to fit with your gifts and it seems to match with the need, then God is probably not directing you there. Here's the big idea. You consider desire, need, gifts, and affirmation, and if you lack any one or more of these four things, God is likely not leading you in that direction. So many times over the years, I've had folks come to me. I, I, I was a worship pastor for about 12-ish years, and, 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 and so many people would come, and, and, and I'd never met before, and they introduced themselves to me on a Sunday. It was a large church, and, and they'd walk up and be like, hey, I'm so-and-so. God called me to be a worship leader, so when can I start? You know? I've had plenty of other people over time say, no, God, God has called me to be a preacher. God has called me to teach in some way or other. So, so where are you going to use me? And, and sometimes that makes sense, and sometimes it works out, but sometimes it doesn't. And a number of times when I've said no, I've been accused of, of spiritual abuse because the line of thinking is, is, no, God called me to do this, and so if you say no, you're actually against God now. There's a, there's a well-known faithful pastor in the area here who has recently got fired from his church that he founded. And at least part of the issue was this very thing. Somebody wanted to be in a key position of leadership, he said no, and they said that he wasn't recognizing his calling, and it festered for years, and eventually they fired him for it. It's brutal, and it's not biblical. We are called to know Jesus. That's the close-handed call. All the other things, the posture God calls us to is in humility, holding our desires, holding our gifts, holding, holding our, our ambitions and our aspirations with open hands because if God wants to affirm them, he will affirm them through others. So how has this gone for me, practically speaking? How has this led to this point with me? Well, I, I'm telling you, these four things have been how I have discerned where God is leading for many years now. I was a part of, a, I first got into to pastoral ministry in Seattle at a large church called Mars Hill. I came to Mars Hill when it was about uh, a couple hundred people in the summer of, of 1999, meeting in a rented space. It would grow to its high point to over 15,000 uh, people spread across, 
I, I can't remember how many churches, 14 or 15 in, in five different states. And it, it went kind of miraculously up really fast. And then in the space of a couple of years, it went completely down and it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Mars Hill Portland, sorry, Mars Hill ended at the end of 2014. Well, in 2011, uh, I felt like God leading me back to my hometown of Portland from Seattle to start Mars Hill Portland. We started Mars Hill Church Portland here in this building. Uh, we got the building in summer of of 2011, and we officially launched in, in the January of, of 2012. Well, it ended uh, at the end of 2014, and, and this church became Redeemer Church, an independent church. And, 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 and some things were good about Redeemer, but man, we just never got our feet under us. And, and by kind of 2018, there was a number of things that happened, and we were in a tough place. And in the midst of all that, I had coffee with uh, one Mr. Josh White. Uh, in the summer of 2018, and it was one of those kind of God-ordained conversations because by the end of the coffee, it seemed like maybe God was leading us to bring the churches together. I had a desire to join with something else. It just didn't seem sustainable continuing to go it on our own as Redeemer Church. I had a desire to join something else. Uh, it, there, was, there was a need for us to join something more stable. There was a need for Door of Hope to, to get a building because they were in a rented space as well. Uh, it, it, there seemed to be overlap with my gifts and ways that I could serve at the church. And there was like some of the most crystal clear, almost universal affirmation that I've ever experienced. Just everybody felt like this was God's leading. And so it happened. Uh, Door of Hope joined uh, with, with Redeemer Church in the summer of 2018. I joined the staff. I was initially kind of a, a floater, uh, a generalist of sorts, kind of an associate pastor. I think they, they called me uh, early on. But by summer of 2019, something shifted. Uh, Mark LaRue, who was serving as an executive pastor of, uh, of sorts, uh, he, he left unexpectedly. And so all of a sudden, uh, there was a need. There was a clear need for somebody to serve in that way. And I had a desire to help. I'd never been an executive pastor before, but it seemed like my gifts, the gifts were in the mix there. It seemed like some of my gifts overlapped with what the need was, and it was affirmed by the elders, and the elders asked me to step into that position. And so I did, uh, summer of 19, and it went okay for a while, but about a year or so in, uh, as we come to this last summer going into fall uh, of 2020, that started to shift a bit, and it started to shift in all four of these areas. Uh, first, my, my, desire, my desire started shifting. Uh, I, I was, uh, in the summer into the fall, I, I preached more often than I had in quite a while because Josh was out uh, working on his, uh, his home, big home remodel project, and, and it just reminded me. It reminded me of how much time I put in to working as a teacher, and I was reminded as I was affirmed in that that that's something I've done a lot and something that has seemed to be a help to people. And it's something that I really enjoy and really feel drawn towards. I have a desire for. It, it, I felt like it was starting to shift from a gifts perspective and that, that being an executive pastor is more about kind of behind the scenes uh, management and maintenance. And, and I'm a bit more of a, of a driver and, and really feel drawn towards what I have so much more experience with, leading worship, um, uh, 
preaching, teaching, leading a, a leadership team, these kind of things. So it felt like there was a better fit potentially in other places with my gifts as well. I'd been infirmed in that kind of ministry a lot more than I ever had uh, as an executive pastor. Uh, and, and so eventually, over the course of the fall, going into uh, the new year, we, through a lot of conversations, eventually I, I put myself out there uh, as a potential lead pastor for one of the Door of Hope churches. And it seemed to fit better than executive pastor in all four of these areas. It seemed to fit better with my desires, seemed to fit better with my gifts and experience, uh, seemed to fit with a need because Door of Hope wants to plant more churches and so they're gonna need more folks to lead those churches. And I definitely had a lot of affirmation in that kind of role over the years. And then quickly, in a matter of days from when I put myself out there in this, I started to get a lot of counsel. Uh, talking about it with, with elders here locally, talking about it with friends who know me. And there's one guy in particular, a guy named Ken, who is super helpful. Uh, he, he's, he knows me personally, he knows Josh personally. He's worked with some of the other pastors, Tim Mackey and others that, that used to be on staff here at Door of Hope. He's also, we've also used him as a, as a consultant and he's helped facilitate big strategic planning projects with our elder team. And so he has this really unique perspective of both being uh, outside the church of Door of Hope but also knowing us and how the church works in a lot of ways. And, and his counsel was really important. And, and, and what I started hearing all the way around from friends, from some of the elders, and from this guy Ken who I mentioned, is various kinds of reservations. Like, a, like not a no way, you're not a lead pastor at all, but, but, but reservations like, let's press into this. I, I don't know if that's the right fit at Door of Hope. And it's hard. It's hard to hear. What happens when someone says maybe no when you desire? Or, or maybe not now, maybe it's wait, or maybe it's a maybe, or maybe it's a let's stop and talk about it more. Well, and this is one of my last main, main points, when we're tested in that way, I think we quickly come face to face with the two big enemies to God's calling and direction, pride, and individualism, they're very closely related. Pride says, me first, me before others, and individualism is, is very close, it's really an outworking of pride, which says, which says, no, by myself, nobody, and it tends to take the form of these two questions, and we hear this all the time in the world around us, like, you're saying no? Who do you think you are? That's one question. Question two is, do you not know who you're dealing with? Do you not know who I am, right? And you could put a whole bunch of different bullet point follow-up questions underneath those two big questions. When we're challenged with our sense of who we are, how we might fit with something, or what our desires are, we all tend to want to fight, right? And I'd be lying if I didn't acknowledge that. That, yeah, there was discussion. No, I wanted to push back for folks that, that felt like, like maybe it wasn't the right fit, or maybe it wasn't the right time, or different things like that. I wanted to talk about that. And so for a few weeks, we had a bunch of those kind of conversations. But this idea that rises up and wants to go to war when people differ with you, man, that's the exact opposite of who Jesus is. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus calls us to. And this is a really important thing. God will not call you to something inconsistent 
with his deepest call, with his character, or with his word. He will never call you to violate his character or his word for anything. Any desire that wells up inside you when you're told no to go to war, you can know for sure that's not from God because it's not his character. What did Jesus do when he wasn't recognized? He was true to himself. He had a, he had a clearer sense of who he was than any other human being I believe to ever live or ever will live. It didn't shake his identity at all. He knew exactly who he was and what he came to do, but he still submitted himself to it. And that's what he calls us to do. And so my conclusion in the midst of all this, what I'm preaching to myself, what I'm trying to follow in and through this, and what I would challenge you to as we're all in this together, is to remember your calling. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For me, God's direction, it didn't match initially with my desires. My desire was to be a door of hope for a long, long time. That's how I've conceived of all my, the church jobs I've had is that this would go for a long, long time. It reminds me, you know, I, I, I never dated a girl who I didn't think I was going to marry, and I always told them that pretty quick. Uh, that's just who I am. I, I, I'm super loyal, and I'm in it for the long haul. But God's direction became clear quickly that from my community, from friends, from leadership, they affirmed me as a lead pastor of sorts, but, but felt like God was calling me to pursue that out, outside of Door of Hope. And that they wanted to send me out and support me and give me six months to, to consider that and send me out in the most supportive and affirming way that, that they could, and I'm super grateful for it. That's how we came to this. Now, as I just conclude, I have to acknowledge that I'm deeply conflicted over that. I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged, but I'm deeply conflicted even as, I, even as I read these words. Just even being here today and preaching this message, it, there, there's an aspect that's exciting and feels like life, and then there's another aspect that's really sad and feels like a death. And I think, I think that's a way that, that we can uh, know that we're following the call of Jesus. To follow Jesus is always a mixture of life and death. All the apostles, all the apostles that wrote the Bible seem to support that. So I'm conflicted because I will deeply miss you. Again, I'm not just disappearing for good, you know, after today. I'm gonna to be around, I'm gonna be leading worship here still for a while, and these kind of things. Uh, I'll miss you, many of you. Uh, I'm gonna miss this building. Uh, as, I've, as it's kind of come down to it, I've realized how attached I've become to this because in one way or another, 
I've been working out of this building for, well, it would be 10 years in August. I love this building. This is my favorite church building I've ever been in. Uh, it's perfect in almost every way, except that it's old and breaks a lot. Uh, but even that's kind of cool, right? But I'm also excited about where God is going to lead because I know if he's, if he's leading me away from here, it means he has something else in mind. And his plans are perfect, whether or not they fit exactly with my desires. And so I just conclude with my hope and my prayer. My hope and my prayer for Door of Hope is that One, just practically, is that our paths would continue to intertwine here in Portland. That's my hope. I don't know what that would look like exactly, but I think there's a lot of potential for it. That's what I've made clear to God that I want. Uh, But whether that happens or not, whether, whether my desires end up lining up with his or not, my prayer is that you, as door of hope, would be faithful to your primary, your deepest call that you would know Jesus more deeply, that you would become more and more like him, and that you would share him with the world around you, that you would devote yourself to Jesus Christ himself and to the cause of the gospel, that you would press into his direction in your life, that God would clarify your desires, that he would bring you needs to meet, that, that you would grow in your giftedness, both in the gifts themselves and in your sense of what they are, that you would affirm one another as a loving family more and more until you see him face to face, either by death or his return. And I want to thank you for welcoming my family and I from the first day we came we were just overwhelmed by, by a sense of welcome and encouragement. And that's continued even throughout today. That's why this is such a, a bittersweet kind of situation. Josh said in our first conversation about this that his hope was whatever happened long term with me, the door of hope could be a place of rest and healing, and it has been that. Uh, I'm super thankful for my time at Door of Hope. I'm thankful for... for for the sense in which at Door of Hope, I I feel like I've reconnected to my calling, my deepest call in walking with Jesus. And I've also come to a lot more clarity on who he's made me to be, on who I am and who I'm not, which plays out in this practical change of direction in my life. So it's been a privilege. Again, I'll still be around if you wanna talk more or have more questions. You know, please don't hesitate to reach out. Sign up for my little mailing list situation in the email that'll come out today. If you have questions for, for Door of Hope on how we came to this, like, like Door of Hope leadership, not just me, talk to one of the elders. Talk to Josh. He would be more than happy to talk about it. He's out of town today, but he'll be back next week. So it's been a privilege, and let's just um, let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you so deeply for all that you have done in and around and through, all that you continue to do in and around and through Door of Hope. I praise you for what this church has meant to my family and I. I praise you for the friendship I have with Josh and many others. I praise you that this will be what I have every expectation of of being a, a lifelong relationship. I just praise you for that. 
And even though this is changing and it's a different course, I just ask that you would bless Door of Hope. I ask that you give me direction. And I just pray for everyone who's hearing this message that they would lean more deeply into their deepest calling to know you and to be shaped by you. And that they would also lean into your direction and your leading practically in this life through their their desires, their gifts, the needs around them and, and, and their community and leadership as they would affirm them in the midst of all that. I just ask that we would press in more, that this COVID time would, would cease as a time of, of, of retreat and, and uh, just turning in on ourselves and, and would, would shift to, to being a time for us to press into who you are and where you are leading us so that more people would know who you are and what you're like. And that's our prayer, Father. We want more people to know what you've done for us through Jesus in this beautiful city that you love of Portland. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray that. Amen.